It is a joy to be here. We pulled in yesterday afternoon. We had uh, just in the tail end of deputation, once you finish raising your support, you realize deputation is not just raising funds. You get to preach about missions and you get to encourage churches. And so we've continued to finish those meetings we had and we just came from meetings in Iowa, Indiana, West Virginia, Maryland. And it was so nice to be home in Wisconsin last night and to uh, not be driving into... One of the biggest questions you have on deputation when you wake up in the morning is, where am I this morning? <laughs> you can just look and say, well, wait a minute, which church is this again? You can start to lose track. We are rejoicing, though. We are excited what God has done. I am more and more convinced uh, the worse our world gets, that the more the Lord wants to do something. And so it's very exciting for me to be able to be here this morning to preach in chapel Pastor, I, I don't feel old. Well, some days I feel old. I don't think I'm old, but it was this fall will be 20 years since I came to school. So this is very humbling for me to say that. I, I don't think anything of that. Like to me, it was just yesterday. But for some of you, that, may, that might change your opinion. Oh, this guy, what is he doing? You know, it's been a blessing, though. Some of what I'm going to preach this morning uh, is, is just a, a message that... God has used to keep us on track through the many different stages of our Christian life and our Christian growth, specifically even now where we are in life, which is on deputation, raising funds, preaching in meetings, uh, meeting different pastors, meeting many, many different people. And, you know, it's easy as you move from stage to stage, as, as you're caught up in the busyness of life, it can be easy to get distracted and to forget why you're doing what you're doing or to just kind of get caught up in the mundane of things and not be intentional about what you're doing and why you're doing it. You can even, uh, if, you're, if you're careful, you can even forget why you're doing what you're doing. There have been times I can think, uh, you could turn to Mark chapter 1, by the way, this morning. Times where I have lost sight of why I was doing what I was doing, and it's easy to get that way in life. It's a, it's a, it's a very distracting and busy world when you're raising a family, when you're working, when you're involved in, in ministry, when you have access like we do to information from every corner of the world. You can, you can distract yourself with anything, you name it. You can, you can focus on those things. But this morning, I simply want us to take a look at this idea of following Jesus. Do you know that uh, Christianity, that's, that's what you are if you're a Christian? I'm so thankful for the simplicity of being a Christian. Being a Christian simply means following Jesus. There have been times in my life where uh, I didn't know exactly why I was doing what I was doing. You have to get back to, wait a minute, who am I following? What am I doing? Uh, on deputation, I can think of this one particular church. One of the first meetings we had, I had uh, I'll just give you, a, give you a couple testimonies how God leads even in the middle of all this. When I first started praying, knew, knew for sure that it was time to go full-time to Cameron. We'd been involved in short-term and praying and giving and going and in other ways. But when we first started having clarity on full-time in Cameroon, it's a big transition because you go from knowing how to earn a living, make a living, and solve problems. And I was in the HVAC trade for the most part most of my life. And it's a, it's a different step to step into full-time ministry. Even some of the ministries we'd been involved in, I was bivocational. So it's different to step away from the way you earn a living. And a lot of, lot of questions, a lot of, uh, lot of how does this exactly work? I knew more about giving to missionaries than how you actually cut off yourself and step out by faith that way. But it's all the same. You're following the Lord, and you're taking one step at a time. And just one example that I can remember when... I was praying about starting two years ago, last this fall, 2021, and started to try scheduling meetings and was going to go to part-time in my job. 
and uh, went to my boss and said, I need to move to four tens. Uh, I have a couple meetings scheduled, and I need to be able to start preaching on the weekends and travel. So it'd be great if we could figure out a way to do like a, a Friday or a Monday off. And I knew my work figured I could do that. And he surprised me by saying, why don't we actually do it this way? Why don't you just be done in two weeks? And uh, I had one church supporting me at that time, which is Falls, and about six meetings scheduled throughout the next year. And uh, went to my truck after that and said, Lord, I know what you're doing, but how am I supposed to do this? And turned my phone on for my break. And a, uh, as soon as I turned my phone on, about a minute afterwards, a pastor I had never met, never contacted, called me and said, Brother, I hear you're going on deputation. Is that true? Would you be willing to come to my church in two weeks? He said, the main catch is that you need to be here Sunday through Wednesday, not just a weekend. And uh, that's when I began to realize... The Lord knows how exactly to guide and direct. You need to just trust him and take those steps of faith. And we never had in, in the last two years, we've been on deputation 18, 19 months now. We haven't had a single meeting, a uh, single opening in our schedule unless we wanted one, unless we scheduled to take it off. And God has just been very faithful to take care of us and guide us in those. But, you know, even in the busyness of that, you can lose track of those things. That same pastor, when we were there, after the service that night, we just pulled in as in Michigan, never met him, didn't know anybody in the church. He said, let's go to our house. We have some fellowship. I just want you to follow me. And we were in that old blue, the blue motor home that we had, and we didn't have a vehicle. So we borrowed a church van, and we started following him. And, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to follow somebody while looking at other things. It's very hard to follow, especially when there's different, uh, the scenario can be complicated. That night it was, it was dark, it was rainy, and I had never been there before, which is why it should have given me the clue, I need to follow this guy very carefully. That, that and he was an Air Force veteran driving an F-150 on his way home. So he was just flying, and he's taking all these turns, and I've got kids in the car driving an unfamiliar vehicle. I'm looking down, I'm addressing whatever I look up, and I can't see him. I don't know where he just went. I have no idea. And it's just, a, it's just a reminder, you can't follow somebody and do other things at the same time, unless you're really practiced at it and know, but the bottom line is, especially in those circumstances, you've got to keep your eyes on the one you're following. You've got to keep just locked in on that. And, and uh, someone else in the car said, Dad, I think, I think I saw taillights to the left down that road, and, and we pulled up to that, and I saw down, followed those taillights, and thankfully, when they stopped, it was at the pastor's house. <laughs> But we, it's just an example, it can get so busy in life, it can be very uh, easy to lose sight of why you're doing what you're doing, where you're supposed to be going, and I just want to simply look this morning at Mark chapter 1 and 2, and look at who we're following. The Bible says that Jesus said in Mark chapter 1 verse 17, he made this promise to us, he said, follow me, come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. He promised us that if we come after him, it's, he is going to personally take care of the discipleship for us. You know, it can be easy to want to be burdened about growing in this area, this area, this area. But do you know that Jesus promised those men that if they came after him, if they forsook all, if they followed him, he would make them what he wanted them to be. And he knows how to do that. Do you know he knows exactly who you are? He knows what he wants to do with you. He knows how long your life's going to be, how short it's going to be. He knows when he's coming back. He knows your gifts, your abilities, your backgrounds, and he knows how to take all of those things and use them for his purposes. I'm, I'm just extremely thankful as, as, a, as a person in a, in a little bit of more of a leadership role now, both in my home but in ministry, that the Lord Jesus knows what he's doing. 
He's the head of the church and he knows how to build and he knows how to take you, equip you, mold you, and use you exactly where he wants you to be. And it's, he, he never has a doubt. He never has a question mark. He has never, there's nothing, as they say, has it ever occurred to you that nothing's ever occurred to God? Nothing has ever dawned on him. He's always known everything he needs to know. And that's who we're following. And I want us to just take some time this morning and look at this passage in Mark chapter 1 and look at some of these characteristics of who it is we're following so that as maybe you've had a, a busy time. I know some of you just came back from Israel. Is that what I understood? How many of you have been there on a, on a Bible lands trip? I know I was with you, brother, in 2017, and I know I saw some of the updates. Uh, wonderful. If you can ever go, it's worth the money. It, just think of it as an as extra seminary class. And, uh, and, and save for it and do it. And do it on the front end of your life instead of retirement years. You'll learn and use those things so much. That's a free plug, Pastor. If, if, you, if there's ever an open seat, you know, you know I, I've always, I used to tell Brother Schultz, if you've got any room in a suitcase, just, you know, I can hide in there. I've, it was a dream come true for me. But Mark chapter 1, let's look at the text here. As we're looking at the Lord Jesus Christ, looking at his life, we see verse number 9. I want you to notice this. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John and Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heaven opened and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beast. And the angels ministered unto him. Do you know that the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated to us leadership? And he did so in this opening introduction to him and his ministry. He did so by demonstrating his submission. He came, he submitted to a human ordinance for the purpose of fulfilling righteousness, baptism. I mean, he's God, but he submitted to that. He was acknowledged of his father, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Do you know if you're going to follow the Lord Jesus, you need to understand submission. And I know that none of the things I'm going to preach this morning are new concepts to you. But the Lord Jesus demonstrated submission. He was submitted to his father's plan for him, and he was led by the Spirit of God. You see that pattern there? Uh, just a simple, remember those things. He did what his father told him to do. He started his public ministry when his father told him to. He led. He was led, went out, and was baptized by John. John, John was saying, what? This doesn't make any sense. I should be baptized by you. He was submitted to his father. He was fulfilling that righteousness. You see that in Hebrews. You don't have to turn there, but Hebrews chapter 5, it says the son learned suffering and the submission. He demonstrated to us as our high priest submission to his father's plan. It may not have made sense to everybody, may not have made sense, or we may not think it makes sense, but it did to him. He was doing exactly what his father wanted him to do. And over and over and over, you see him saying, I do nothing but what my father wants me to do. You see there that he was led of the Spirit, demonstrating what our life is to be, submitted to God, led by the Spirit. And you see the Spirit led him into a time of trial and temptation and testing. How is your submission to those things? I, I, I think as we look at these things, I learned a lot of these things. I grew up in a Christian home, got saved when I was five, but had a lot of growing to do. A lot of these elements that I'm talking about, I learned, really learned when I was here in college. 
And this, this point of being led by the Spirit of God, I've been around enough to know there are those that do not preach about the Holy Spirit. If you do not know what it is to obey the Spirit of God's leading in your life, you will have a very uh, difficult time in ministry unless you've got a lot of money. And there's a lot of Christianity uh, out there that's fueled by funds, but not led by the Spirit of God. And I've seen that over and over again. You can see God work and you see God deliver in places that have nothing, but the United States has a lot of material goods, but not a lot that are just plain surrendered to the leading of the Spirit of God. Now that sounds uh, like a drastic statement, but it's true. There's so many doing good. That is one element of deputation. We've seen so many people who are still seeking the Lord and believing God and endeavoring to see God uh, build a church in their area, see people reached, and I thank God for that. It has been incredibly encouraging for us to be in the 65 churches we've been in and to see those people's faithfulness to believe God and to see the pastors and, the, and those people just... In all of those situations, uh, I've met people who know what it is to be led by the Spirit of God, who know what it is to do what they're supposed to do because they spend time with Him and they're submitted to His leadership that way. And that leads us to the second point here, not just the idea of submission, but your prayer life. You see, verse number 13, he was led, of the, led by the Spirit into the wilderness, tempted. He knows what it is to go through spiritual wrestlings. You see verse number 35, after a busy day of ministry, everyone's gathered at the house. He healed many, but the next day it says, and in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. If you have not learned to spend extended time of prayer, do that. You will not have an easier time than in this college right here learning the value of spending extended time of prayer. I remember when Pastor first went on that journey and first led us in the 24-hour prayer chain, and I had never signed up for, we, we were signed up for one-hour prayer chunks so that we were praying around the clock, different people were doing that. I had never spent an hour uh, in prayer before, and God changed my life in that time. And uh, the different times in this building, back before, when I was in school, Fellowship Hall B was chapel, and uh, this was was uh, music hall and other things, but the different places in this building, both by myself and with other students, where we spend time in prayer. And if, if there is no shortcut to it, I, I said it before, men build buildings, but God builds the church. And if you do not know how to spend time in prayer, you'll lose your way in ministry. You will, you will lose your way in life in general if you do not learn to take it seriously, to spend those extended times in prayer. The Lord Jesus Christ did there. How is your prayer life is the question. I know you hear this over and over again, but how is your prayer life? You, you, you get examples of that when you step out into spring break and you go home for the summer times. It takes time to learn these things. I heard all of these things. I learned these things. I believed them. I embraced them. It's not automatic that you step out of school, though, and just walk in these things perfectly. You've got to be committed to that reality. And if you chafe at spending time with God in prayer here, You'll have to learn it much harder ways outside of here. And, and thankful God's a, God's a good teacher, and he's going to continue to lead in those things. But you've got to spend time in prayer. Look at verse number 14 of Mark 1 here. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Jesus could have come as many things, but the Bible shows us here in his introduction, his earthly ministry, he came as a preacher. That idea of Caruso, to be a herald, an official dec you know, declaration of God's word. I want you to ask yourself this question, what is your attitude towards preaching? You hear a lot of preaching in, 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 in your days here. Are you prepared for it? Is chapel 
you know, something that you have to do or is it something that uh, you want to do? I can think of many, many, many times in my life where because I was raised well and had, didn't have a choice and then by the time I had a choice, I knew the benefits and made the right choice, where I did not want to go to church. And it wasn't always for bad reasons. You know what it is to work 14-hour days and be physically exhausted and then come to church and no one has any idea of what you've been doing that day and yet you come because you know it's the right thing to do? I can think of many times even here, even in just before deputation, one particular Wednesday night where I did not want to go to church. I didn't have any responsibilities that night. I had had a very long day, lots of things going on, and I had not had a lot of sleep. And it seemed a spiritual thing to me to do was to send my wife and children, and you can talk yourself into these things, send my wife and just take a nap and, and maybe spend some extra time with the Lord. And instead what I did is I gathered with my church, and I let the singing encourage me. I let the preaching of God's word encourage me. And then after the service, uh, there was one key conversation that God used to put a major piece of our deputation in place, and I almost missed it because I almost didn't go. What is your attitude to it, though? I can think of so many times where uh, running equipment or doing other things in my truck where I could listen to this or do this or do this, where putting on the preaching of God's word has changed my life, where it's impacted me, where God's word faithfully preached by a, a man faithful to Scripture and filled with the Spirit changed my life. What is your attitude towards preaching? Do you know, Jesus was a preacher. He also commissioned his disciples. Acts chapter 10, uh, Peter is telling Cornelius. He's introducing what God has done in his life, he's introducing Christianity to Cornelius. He's a soldier. He's a Gentile. And he explains, he gives the testimony. He says in verse number 36, the word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. This is Peter's testimony of it, how God sent Jesus as a preacher to Israel. That word I say ye know, which was published. There's again that idea of a declaration throughout all Judea and began in Galilee after the baptism which John preached. Verse 38, he explains just the story there, but then look at what, God's, what Peter says here, verse number 42, and he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. Why do I bring this up? You know, during COVID, and as you get out there away from the comfort zones and securities, do you know most people don't understand what we're doing in here today? There's a lot of people driving by that would wonder what in the world are these people doing here? They're sitting in chairs on a, on a nice day listening to a young guy yell at them on a platform. What are they doing? Preaching is not necessarily understood by many, 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 many people. All you've got to do is spend a little bit of time in the world to recognize that we, we don't, that this, is, this is not normal in our culture to go to a preaching service. But when you go through times like COVID or, or trials or difficulties or weaknesses, things that happen, you, you have to ask yourself, why are we doing what we're doing? Do we just have preaching services because it's, it's tradition? Because some people are good at speaking and so we've organized around their human abilities? Why do we do it? It's a biblical command. Jesus was a preacher and he commissioned his disciples to go and preach. And we know in the, in the Great Commission, they were told to tell others to do everything Jesus had told them to do. God is always raising up and cultivating and developing the preaching ministry. And I thank God for that. And he wasn't just a preacher. We know that in, in, verse, in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 of Mark, it says he taught them. And, with, and he taught them uh, many teachings, it says, and he taught them by parables. We understand there are different elements in ministry. But my question this morning is, you look at the ministry of Jesus Christ, what is your mindset toward preaching? I'll tell you this. I was the last person that wanted to be a preacher. 
I did not aspire to be a pastor or an evangelist or a missionary. I, I did not think I was going to do that. But when God calls you to preach, you do it. You, you do it because God's called you to do that, and it's because he uses it. God uses the foolishness of preaching, the weakness of men, to get out the word of God. And I, there's something about it that uh, when, it, when it comes to why are we doing what we're doing, what is your mindset toward preaching? Are you doing it just because, or do you recognize the biblical principle for it? Do you have it in your life? Is it part of your life? We obviously know the message of it, 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word. It's not just getting up and preaching what you want, talking about politics and talking about your hobby horses. It is preaching the word of God. That is what we're to be doing. It is to make the word of God plain. Just a simple reminder, what is your attitude toward preaching? If you're going through uh, busy times and you need to recalibrate, what is your attitude toward preaching? Look at verse number 16 here of Mark chapter 1. Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who were also in the ship mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. Now, it wasn't unusual in Jewish culture for uh, men to take time out of their life and their vocation and to follow a rabbi for a period of time. But regardless of the culture, we see that Jesus Christ here made disciples. If you need to adjust your thinking, rearrange your priorities, I have this question for you. What is your attitude towards discipleship? Are you discipling others? Are you investing in others? Now, I know these are, these are things that are required here, but I, I remember when I came here as a student, it was the first time I'd ever taught Sunday school class other than filling in here and there or doing VBS or this or that. The, the idea of being involved in ministry as part of college is a good thing, but when you're not required to, if you weren't required to, would you be investing in that young person? If you weren't required to contact that Sunday school student, would you be doing it? Do you have this understanding that you're not just being given what you're given for yourself, but that if you're going to be a follower of Christ, you've got to be committed to discipling others? Now, there's a saying in the, in the secular world that is uh, one we all know. You could all repeat it after me, and it is the saying, good help is... Okay, okay, okay. All right, I see some people that have obviously been studying so hard. They were up all night studying, it looks like. Let's try this again. Good help is... You all know it. Do you know why it's hard to find? Many times it's because people aren't investing in teaching to help. They're not invested in training help. I know for me, I grew up in a, in a family after the military. My dad started his own business, and uh, that's, a, that's an endeavor to do. We started homeschooling and starting a business, and uh, I can remember that in those days it was very hectic in our home, and I learned the trade with my dad because my dad taught me. But you know that my dad didn't necessarily teach me because it was the easy thing to do. He taught me because uh, I remember the first time I ever worked with him on a job was a day I'd had a conflict with my mother as a 12-year-old about school. She's homeschooling. She's office manager. I'm beginning to assert my ideas, and wanna, I want to do a certain... She, we, instead of arguing, she just said, get in the truck. Okay, this was new. I didn't know where we were going, and she just said, get in the truck. So we got in the truck, and we started driving. And I can still... I just drove by it. We were driving through the town my mom grew up in where we lived, and I still remember this house, approaching that house and seeing my dad's work van in the driveway. 
And she pulled up to it and just said, get out. And uh, I got out, and she took off. And uh, <laughs> remember my dad coming out a few minutes later, and I'm kind of awkwardly standing there, and what are you doing here, Chris? Uh, well, Mom thought you needed help. <laughs> and uh, he, d he did not need my help. Do you know, let me just tell you something. You all know this. Do you know that it's twice, it takes twice as much time and effort to do something if you're having to teach somebody else at the same time? It is not uh, something we do because it is easy. Teaching and training is not something we do just because it's, it's, it's just a normal and easy thing to do. My dad taught me, he went from doing it at that time because he had to. He had uh, not just the father role there, but the husband role to fulfill. He's also juggling the job side there. He did it because it was the right thing to do. And I can still remember, I can still remember getting a call here when I was in college, October. October in the HVAC trade is furnace season. It's where everybody, we like to say this in our, in our way of thinking, it, October is when everybody whose furnace has been broken since April uh, finally actually calls you and asks you to come and fix it. And uh, they're all turning the heat on for the first time. I can remember my dad was doing a startup on a furnace and AC I had installed that summer. And uh, he called me, I'm in school, and he said, Chris, are you missing your tubing cutters? I said, no, I'm not. And I have a test next hour. And is there something, <laughs> why are you asking me about this? Because uh, I just found your tubing cutters down the exhaust system at Mrs. Smith's furnace. And she called this morning with no heat. So thanks a lot. Have a good day. Just wanted to let you know I found them. They had my initials on them down in there. Uh, do you know that we don't disciple because it's easy? We don't do it because it's the smoothest thing to do. We do it because we're Christians and we're called to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you have a disciple who doesn't listen to you or do what you're, they're told, do you think that means you just don't disciple them anymore? Just cut them off. We reach and invest in people's lives because we're called to do that. Now, there, there is the sense, Jesus told us in 2 Timothy 2, 2 to, to, to commit the same things to faithful men. You have to be wise in who you spend time with. You can't always do things for people that are not following the Lord, not willing to follow the Lord. We understand these things. But what is your mindset towards discipleship? Is it something you have to do? Or do you understand it's what you're called to do? If you're going to follow Christ, it is to invest in what he's given you into the lives of others. It is not just for yourself. One of the most sad elements of Christianity is, is seeing the selfishness that goes on where we receive so much and then are such, so judgmental towards those who have not received the same things. We are called to be investing those things in the lives of others. And, and in the fundamental realm, that is, that is not always the easiest thing to do. We're prone to just be selfish and to just spend those things on ourselves. What is your attitude towards discipleship? Look at verse 41 of Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 40. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, kneeling down to him and saying unto him, If thou wilt... Thou canst make me clean. And Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. So Jesus here, and all through Mark 1 and 2, many diseases and, and difficulties were dealt with. But you see what Jesus did in verse 41 there. It says he was moved by compassion. If you're going to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, let me just ask you this. Are you recognizing the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you recognize that he left heaven for you? He has compassion for you. Do you recognize the compassion he has for the lost around you, for the saved around you? And when you go to do what you're doing, what you're supposed to do, is it out of compassion? Jesus Christ healed this man. It says he was moved by compassion. Now, I can think of many, many, many times in my life where it wasn't 
the fact that someone knew better than I did, but it was because they came to me and they told me what I ought to do or they helped me or they encouraged me or they just were there and they did so because they had the compassion of God in their hearts. And I have that question for you, is compassion a part of your life? There are many areas in my life that God has changed because of his compassion for me. It is the goodness of God that bringeth men to repentance. And if your ministry is not driven out of a motivation because you've received the compassion of the Lord for yourself and you have that for others, you're missing an element of what it is to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just doing the right thing, going where you're supposed to go. It's doing it with compassion, moved by compassion. Many areas in my life that have been impacted by a compassionate person. You look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Peter tells them, he says, Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. Now, you all are here in an interesting setting because you're students. You didn't have a choice who your roommates were. You weren't given a choice what fellowship you were being. Otherwise, you'd have all been wearing blue and yellow like Judson. You know. uh, but uh, that's a hint, by the way. That's, that's where I came from. We understand this idea of compassion in theory, but you know who is supposed to have that compassion? When you're in a local church setting and you're sitting there with people that you know, it's to those people. It's to your roommates that you're living with. It is not just to that person down the road or to the ones that you get along with. It is, says, he says here, be com- have compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. Compassion towards others is not for that, that one that is a needy person down the road. It is for the person right beside you that you don't necessarily get along with. One of the men that is a great encouragement to me is Brother Bobby Bosler. When we were freshmen together, I hated his guts. He's the only child from, from New Jersey. I was a homeschooler from a larger family in the Midwest. He didn't pump his own gas, and uh, I, thought he was a, I thought he was an idiot. And there were some things he did that, that justified that. Now, i got to be careful. Uh, Bobby gets to preach a whole lot more here, and there is far more that he could say about me than I could say about him. But uh, you know how they say every rule in the rule book has a name by it. I have a feeling that this institution philosophically altered its ways after I was a student. It was, it was not just rules. It was, we got to think about this. What, who are we allowing into the school here? It's one another. It's not the person you feel like having compassion. It is the person beside you. It is a person you were called to minister alongside, your own home, your own church members, not the people you feel like, but anybody. I want you to think about the person you don't like. That is who you are to have compassion on. You have no justification for a cold heart to another believer. It is the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ that it is to motivate you in your ministry. There are many things we could say. You look at verse 38 of Mark chapter 1. Just had a busy ministry, wonderful. Many things happening there in Capernaum. Many people believe that he made Peter's house his headquarters, or he had his own right there. But they came and found him at his prayer time, and they said, All men seek for thee, in verse 37. He said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, for thenceforth came I forth. And he preached in the synagogues throughout all Galilee. Do you have a heart for the other places? I understand that you're not called to every place, and you've got to be faithful where you're called to, but there are people in the ministry I've met who couldn't care less what's happening in the church across town. And they don't care what's happening in a Christian's life if they're not a member of their church. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ has a heart for all places? Now, there's a lot of applications you can make here. 
Now this, the application I just made is it may be the first one you'd make. But the point is, is Jesus Christ was burdened about going to the other place and he's always preaching, always looking to the other places. I'm thankful for our church here that is training young people from other churches for the sake of them going back out into the harvest field. It's a sacrifice to do that. To train people from other places that, that are going to other places, are not necessarily even going there. You know what? You're going to be in ministry and you're going to go into a church and that pastor may look at you and say, how long is this guy going to stay here? You may have someone come into your church and you wonder, are they going to stay here? Why are they really? Do you know that the Lord Jesus Christ was always motivated and, and moving because he was burdened for the other places? There are people in my life that I've invested in that were not going to, there was going to be no return for me in that investment. But because I knew the Lord had a purpose for them and maybe they were going to be going to one of those other places I couldn't go to, I was just following the head, following the Lord Jesus, because he had a heart for that person in that place that they were called to. Do you have a heart for those other places? And just as a side note, don't burn your bridges in ministry. I've been in many different positions. Uh, probably any official title you can have, I've almost had it. As a deacon, teacher, pastor, youth evangelist, all those things, camp ministry. Do you know what, one of the reasons our deputation was 18 months? Because I didn't burn bridges. I let the Lord lead me in my ministry, and I didn't cut people off that I didn't always agree with, and I didn't throw away relationships in the different ministries God has led my family to be in in the last 14 years. When you don't have a heart for another church because you don't think, you, you don't have this idea. You've missed this idea. The Lord Jesus has a heart for the other villages. Maybe you're not called to pastor or be a missionary in that place or that place, but the Lord Jesus sure does. He's got a heart for that place. What is your heart towards the other places is simply the question there. We can look at so many things. Authority. You look at how Jesus dealt with the demons and Satan. You look at uh, 23 through 27. They were all amazed after he cast out the man in the synagogue. And, and they said, what man, what is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. Recognizing that we're following the one who has all authority. It's very discouraging to be an American right now to see the things that are going on in our country. I remember 9-11. I was ready to go enlist. I was 16 years old, and I wanted to serve. My dad was a military officer previously. I wanted to go. I, I'm shocked what's happened in the 30 years that I've been paying attention. And I've, we grew up in a political family. We've been paying attention for a long time. Our country is changing, has changed drastically. But you know that we still serve one who has all authority and all power? He's, he, he, has, he has no change in his authority. He, he's not, uh, you can't recall him. He doesn't lose elections. He can't have it stolen from him. None of that. Do you recognize that the Lord Jesus literally has authority and you can plan your life around following him? And it doesn't matter what men say or what the laws are. You can follow the Lord Jesus Christ and trust him in these areas. I'm thankful that the, that the man that has a wrecked life, drugs, alcohol, all this stuff, the Lord Jesus Christ has authority over Satan. I'm thankful I can minister and pray for those people knowing that the Lord Jesus knows how to free that person and change him. He knows how to take the maniac of Gadara, crazy, in the tombs, naked, cutting himself, to a man sitting in clothing in his right mind with a heart to follow Jesus. That's who Jesus is. That's the authority that Jesus Christ has. Do you recognize that? Are you resting in his authority or are you resting in your own? You know, it's been said that uh, you can choose... 
Uh, only one of two options. It's either pleasing God or pleasing self. It's true. Uh, the quote, I, I don't know the exact quote, but you can either choose to follow the Lord Jesus Christ or follow the wicked one. Now, you, never, you never think you're following the wicked one. It's always just doing what you want. But those are the only two masters, really, as the Lord or, or Satan himself. Lastly, verse number, chapter number 2. I've mentioned the trade. That's kind of the way I think of things. My life has been uh, one of dealing with people and being called because there's a problem and being asked to solve that problem. And uh, you talk to people who would never have you in their home otherwise. People with two Bentleys in a, in a pool with a gym over top of it will call you when they're cold or will call you when they're hot. People who have no money will call you and ask you to come for free. You'll talk to every kind of person. And, and that's a little bit of what I've had to do. It's been problem solving. Going into the situation, figuring out what the problem is, and presenting the solution to it. And in Mark chapter 2, if you're going to go into a world that you're called to, there's a lot of problems in this world. And if, if you're going to go in and try and do your part to make things what they ought to be, you've got to recognize the biggest problem. And if you see Mark chapter 2, for time we won't read the whole thing, but Jesus comes into Capernaum. They're gathered into this house. Some people say it may have been Peter's house. Uh, and it's packed. Nobody can get in. Four men bring a man sick of the palsy. We know this story. I first learned this story. My mother was discipled by a CEF uh, lady, and so I learned this by flannel graph. To this day when I preach this, I see Betty Lucan's flannel graph. I see uh, that man sick of the palsy, and he was a scary guy in Betty Lucan's. So it was uh, not somebody you wanted to be. He was, he was a mess. They sa it says they couldn't come nigh to him for the press, so they began breaking the roof open. So I just want you to realize the problems that are in this situation here. Put yourself there again. It's a crowded room. People got there. They're packed in there. Jesus is preaching. We know from the passage there's religious leaders. It's a mixed crowd. Uh, you have this man then uh, who owns the home. This is my imagination. You're sitting there and, and the roof starts crackling and it gets broken up. And this man gets lowered in front of you. So you have all kinds of things in front of you now. You have a homeowner whose roof's just been wrecked. You have all these religious people who are in the front row mad that they have to move because this guy didn't come early. You know, and this guy should have come early if he wanted to see Jesus. We got, you, you got all these people issues happening here, right? It's packed. You have the four men on the roof, and then you have this man with a horrible problem. And what did Jesus Christ say to this man? What was the first thing in his heart and mind to say to this man? Verse number five, when Jesus saw their faith, he saith unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Do you understand that the greatest problem in this world is not people issues, it's not a physical problem, it's not education, it's not economic, it is sin. The greatest problem in your life and in the lives of those you're ministering to is the sin problem. Do you recognize that Jesus Christ is the only person who has the authority to say, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee? And it actually means something. Now look at what he did. He, he then he goes on to heal this man, and it's to demonstrate to them. He says, whether it's easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise, take up thy bed and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, I say unto thee, arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thy house. And immediately he arose and took up the bed and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. When we go to Cameroon... There are a lot of needs in Cameroon, and we'll be involved in those needs. There are a lot of physical needs. There are a lot of educational needs. There are a lot of economic needs. There are a lot of cultural needs. 
Do you know the greatest need in Cameroon is that people without the shed blood of Jesus Christ have no forgiveness for their sins. The fact that Jesus came out of the tomb on Easter is because he had authority over sin. He has the power. Death doesn't have power over him. The greatest problem that you're going to be dealing with in your personal life, in your family, in your church, in your culture is sin. And if you lose sight of the fact that following Jesus is following the one who has authority over that, who can forgive it, who can help, who can love, who can chasten, who can deal with it. He paid for it in his own body. He has authority over sin. And if you minimize sin, if you say it's not sin, if you, if you, if you justify sin in your own life, if you fail to preach on it in, in your ministry, if you fail to help others with the sin problem, you've really missed what it is to be following Jesus. There are many, many religions out there that tell people how to have a good life. Only Jesus Christ can wash sins away. He is the only person who can take someone who is wrecked because of their own sin and forgive their sins and wash it and make it clean. I simply ask you this morning, are you following the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you remember what it is to be following him? Him who is a preacher, full of compassion, his prayer life, his power over sin. It's simple. Don't lose your way. Don't lose sight of what you're doing and who you're following. Just stick with the basics of I have got to follow the Lord Jesus Christ today. He's the one I'm following. Get your focus off of yourself off the world around you, off of others. And as the passage in Hebrews 12 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. That's what you've got to do. That's what you're called to do, one day at a time, one place at a time. Let's bow for prayer this morning.